Hi there, it's Stephanie. On Orthodox is Off this week, we wanted to bring you a glimpse into two of our other podcasts. First, you'll hear an update from our colleague Armin Rosen, who spent last week reporting from the aftermath of the building collapse in Surfside, Florida. Armin dropped by Take One, our daily Talmud podcast hosted by Unorthodox's own Liel Leibowitz, to weigh in on a page of Talmud that feels eerily relevant to the Surfside tragedy. Then you'll hear episode four of our kids' game show Hebrew School, which is back for season two, hosted by Sabrina Marielle Friedman and Frank Spiro. First, here's Armin on Take One. Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one timely page of Talmud every day. Usually, we turn to the Talmud for timeless wisdom, for the eternal teachings of our ancestors. But sometimes we are startled to find in these ever-relevant pages a note, a discussion that feels a little bit too painfully current. Reading today's page, Yoma 83. I found the following passage. Have a listen. Similarly, with regard to one upon whom a rock slide fell, and there is uncertainty whether he is there under the debris or whether he is not there, and there is uncertainty whether he is still alive or whether he is dead, and there is uncertainty whether the person under the debris is a Gentile or whether he is a Jew, one clears the pile from atop him. One may perform any action necessary to rescue him from beneath the debris, If they found him alive after beginning to clear the debris, they continue to clear the pile until they can extricate him. And if they found him dead, they should leave him, since one may not desecrate Shabbat to preserve the dignity of the dead. This, of course, brings to mind the terrible disaster in Surfside, Miami. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the show my colleague at Tablet Magazine, senior writer Armin Rosen, who is now in Surfside. Hey, Armin. How's it going, Liel? That's in today's Daf Yomi page? Indeed it is. Unbelievable. Now tell me, you arrived in Miami shortly after the grim news broke out. What did you see there? So I got here on Saturday morning, roughly about two days after Champlain Towers collapsed, but sort of at the edge of the window of people still kind of having hope of people being taken out of the rooms alive. Interestingly, this is really sort of a tragedy with no... No catharsis, no single gathering point. A lot of people kind of wandering around the neighborhood confused, especially on Shabbat, really not quite knowing what to expect. Surfside is about the loveliest and most beautiful natural setting you can imagine. I've been here before. It's difficult to imagine anything, at least but horrible, happening here. And really, this this whole thing is just almost like a total inversion of reality in a, in a certain sense. But around the tower itself, there's just almost an unimaginable landscape of kind of emergency vehicles, tent cities of first responders. There's a huge dragnet of road closures, which has kind of resulted in Highway A1A being completely empty of cars, almost like a like a Israel and Yom Kippur kind of feel, especially in the more kind of Jewish ends of town. And at least here, there's sort of the, the assumption hanging in the air since I got here that probably there won't be any survivors found in the, in the wreckage. And it's a reality that's starting to kind of dawn on people in a much, much more tangible way as the days progress here. So what can you tell us about the efforts of the community to start transitioning from rescue operations to sort of aftermath of a disaster, offering comfort, solace to those who need it most? What is it that you're seeing? 
Well, the, the Jewish community sort of snapped into action almost immediately. I spoke with a Hatsalan doctor. He's actually also a lieutenant commander in the Marine Corps and like a, a firm Jew. Fascinating guy. He got to the site at about 6 a.m. on Thursday. He didn't leave until early in the morning on Saturday. You know, there's no consideration of, of stopping. Well, I mean, I guess continuing to work would be a way of observing Shabbos in this case. But the rules, you know, no question of the rules being suspended. At the uh, Surfside Community Center, there's mountains of kosher food. There's a kitchen at the community center that happened to own a kosher kitchen. And there's a local restaurant handing out sandwiches pretty much around the clock. If you go inside the shul, the Ball Harbor shul, which is sort of a Chabad mega shul in Ball Harbor, they have sort of an extension that's under construction right now. And in one of the unfinished sort of large halls, I mean, it looks like a Costco or pallets of food, pallets of clothing. Interestingly, the, the warehouse kind of fills up. You know, when I was there on Shabbat, it was almost completely full. It was just mountains of stuff. When I came back less than 24 hours later, all the stuff was gone and sort of a new round of stuff had replaced it. I mean, there are volunteers just everywhere. There are herds of therapy dogs kind of wandering the streets looking for people to comfort. There are people who are just not even connected to any organization who are just handing out bottles of water. But the Jewish community has been, I mean, again, it's uh, the major institutions in this part of town are Jewish institutions. And that's where that's where people have really turned. There was an incredibly moving uh, Minnesota service yesterday afternoon at the shul where Nachman Shai, who's the Diaspora Affairs Minister of the Government of Israel, not just spoke, he actually read Haftorah, which he told me he had never done before in his entire life. Amazing. <laughs> and at the end, of course, there's a fast date of the Torah reading. Rabbi Shalom who is the mastermind of the whole, basically built the shul from the ground up. Remarkable guy. He actually almost died of COVID last year. He spent about five hours kind of at the site of the building collapse early Thursday morning. He called family members of people who were still missing up to the beam that opened the Ark for Avinu Mulcanu. And it, I mean, it, was, it was a real, real disembodying moment for almost everybody there. And really the closest thing to catharsis that I think anybody has gotten yet. I mean, there hasn't, it's not like after the Pittsburgh shooting where there was kind of a single site where people could grieve. You know, there was a, a vigil like more or less that same night. It was kind of a structure to things. It's really not like that. Things are moving kind of an agonizingly slow pace for everyone involved, which is not to criticize any of the first responders or anything. It's just kind of the nature of the, the disaster. So there really had not been kind of a single moment of people really, uh, you know, facing their emotions all at once, kind of until until Minsa yesterday. And again, that's a that was an opportunity provided not just by a synagogue, but by, you know, an actual sort of religious practice connected to the fast day, right? I mean, there would have been no potato had it not been a fast day on a weekday, right? So it's very powerful. Armin Rosen, thank you so much for this sobering report that offers some hope in the midst of so much darkness. Thank you for being our guest. One one more thing that might be kind of applicable to this and maybe even to the but a Talmud you just read, there's been discussion of having a Shomer on site, of having somebody reading Tehillim on site, with the expectation that, you know, that there are still dead bodies under the pile that they haven't recovered yet. Something similar was done after the 9-11 attack. The sort of uh, Jewish legal ritual angle of this is being, being attended to in a, in a pretty sensitive way, I think. That's wonderful to know. Armin, thank you so much for being our guest. Thanks again, Rahel. This 
has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz, and our producers are Josh Cross, Sarah Fredman Ader, and Robert Scarmuccia. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeonedafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic and we'll see you again soon. Armin Rosen on Take One, which airs every morning. You can hear more at tabletmag.com slash take one or by subscribing to Take One wherever you listen to podcasts. And now here's episode four of Hebrew School featuring the wonderful contestant Joanna. Hey, Sabrina, how are you doing? <sighs> Hi, Frank. I'm trying to learn some Hebrew words, but I'm having a really hard time. Oh, really? What's confusing you? Well, some of these words just don't make any sense. For example, in Hebrew, who is me? Who are you? You're, you're Sabrina. I, I, I know I'm Sabrina, but that doesn't help me remember who is me. Sabrina, what are you talking about? <sighs> I'm talking about how to say who in Hebrew. Not to mention that the word for he in Hebrew is who. Wait, I thought you just said who is me. Exactly. Who is me and he is who. And did you know what else? She is he. Wait, 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 wait. Are you trying to tell me that she is he and he is who and who is me? Exactly. Hey, I got a headache. You know what I think we need? What? I think we need to go to Hebrew school. Welcome to Hebrew School, the game show for really smart kids who want to show off how much they know about all things Jewish, and maybe who can help us learn a little Hebrew along the way. I'm Frank. And I'm Sabrina. At least, I think I am. But I am definitely sure that our guest today is Joanna. Welcome! Hello! Hey, Joanna. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of rapid-fire questions. Rapid-fire means super quick. And then you just give me your answers as quick as you can. Sound good? Yes. Okay, Joanna, what is your favorite Hebrew word? Probably Jonah, because that's my Hebrew name, or Sefer, because it's a book. What's your favorite ice cream flavor, Joanna? Mint chocolate chip and cookie dough. (laughs) Delish. Do you have any siblings? Yes, I have um, one younger sister named Audrey. So we have one final question for you, and it is truly epic. Frank? All right, we've got 10 fingers, 10 toes, and 10 commandments. 10, 10, 10. Why is it always 10? I happen to think that 11 is a much better number. So I am asking you, Joanna, to help me out here. Can you come up with an 11th commandment? One more rule that everyone in the world has to follow? What do you say? Of course. Mm, This is a hard one. Probably that everyone should have at least one pet and that it could be a leopard gecko because I have a leopard gecko as a pet and they're really cool. But it doesn't have to be a leopard gecko. I think it should be. Okay, so leopard geckos are optional, but definitely a pet of some kind. Yes, at least one. Very cool. Here's the deal. 
No matter what kind of school you go to, you are always learning new and amazing things about being Jewish. We want to see how much you really know. But instead of giving you a test, we're going to play a series of fun games that ask you questions about everything from history to religion to pop culture. Are you ready to play? Absolutely. Amazing. Our first game is called Say My Name. Say My Name is fun and simple. We play you a short song about a person from Jewish history. You listen and tell us that person's name. Ready? Ready. DJ? I reign supreme. Yes, I'm at the top of my field. And in my chambers, no ruling is appealed. Don't judge me, you think it's easy deciding the laws of the land. I know, notoriously took a stand for equal rights. This is my fight, and boy do I look good in black. Case dismissed. Okay, Joanna, let's review. Someone who's at the top of their field, who works in a chamber, and decides the law of the land. This person is famous for fighting for equal rights, and apparently black is a really good color on them. Any guesses? I'm not really sure. If I said a Supreme Court justice named... Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Winner! Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a Supreme Court justice, only the second woman and the first Jewish woman to serve on our country's highest court. She is also well known for her work fighting for gender equality and women's rights and for her killer workout routine. Did you see those push-ups? Ready for song number two? Yes. DJ? They call me Hammer. Yeah, I come down hard on all those Greek meanies playing in my yard. I won a lot of battles. I fought a lot of fights. But when we found that oil man, it lasted eight nights. My brothers and I, we worked like one machine. And we started a dynasty that was Hasmonean. Okay, let's break that one down. Someone nicknamed the Hammer who fought a lot of battles against the Greeks. There was definitely a reference to oil lasting eight nights and something about Hasmonean. Joanna, any idea who this is about? Judah the Maccabee? Winner! Yes, this song is about Judah Maccabee, the Jewish priest who led the fight against the Greeks, resulting ultimately in the victory we commemorate on the holiday of Hanukkah. Judah removed all of the Greek statues that had been placed in the Holy Temple and discovered the magical oil that allowed the Jewish people to reclaim their house of worship. It's all thanks to him that we have lockies and jelly donuts today. Okay, we have one more song. DJ, let's hear it. Sure, blame me, but you know... I can't even talk I can't run away And I can't even walk All because I asked that lady if she 
She wanted some fruit. She ate it. And now, well, I'm basically mute. I was in paradise, but now I'm kicked out. I'm condemned to slither, which makes me pout. Okay, this one is someone who can't walk or talk, but who used to live in paradise? Sounds like giving that lady some fruit was a bad idea. What do you think? Wait, was it like a snake? Winner! Yes, that last song was about the snake in the Garden of Eden. The sneaky reptile convinced Eve to eat from the Tree of Knowledge, something God had expressly forbidden. Because of the snake's deviousness, he, along with Adam and Eve, was kicked out of paradise, and the snake was also cursed to crawl on his belly and eat dust. What a dirty, dirty trick. Seems like the punishment matched the crime. Indeed. Joanna, ready for our second game? This one's called Tall Torah Tales. Tall Torah Tales. about you, but some of the Bible stories I learned in Hebrew school were so wild that they blew my mind. I mean, I was not expecting some of the weird stuff that's in there. So right now, Frank and I will tell you three wild stories. Two of these things are straight from the Bible. The third, well, we just made up right this minute. Your job is to tell us which is which. Ready to play? Okay. I'll go first. In ancient Israel, before King Saul and King David ruled the land, the Jewish people were led by judges, many of whom were also seasoned warriors who fought against enemy kingdoms. One of these judges was a dude named Ehud ben Gera. The thing about Ehud that was so scandalous was that he was, wait for it, left-handed. What, you don't think that's scandalous? Fine, well, what if I told you that Ehud used his left-handedness to sneak his sword in when he paid a visit to the evil King Eglon, enemy of the Jews? Eglon's guards didn't think to check Ehud's right side for a sword, since most righties kept their swords on the left side. Well, once Ehud got Eglon alone, he stabbed him. And here's where it gets really strange. Eglon was so fat that Ehud couldn't get his sword out after he killed him. In fact, Eglon's body swallowed the sword right up. Ehud snuck out, the murder weapon safely hidden inside Eglon's spacious body. That is really crazy. But not as crazy as this story. We all know that Moses led the Jewish people through the desert, but Moses never got to enter the land of Israel. He passed the leadership baton to Joshua, who had been his second in command leading up to Moses' death. Well, Joshua was really brave and led the Jewish people to many military victories. But apparently he was afraid of the dark. So much so that he asked God to make the sun stay frozen in the sky instead of setting so that his army could continue fighting in daylight, thus setting the record for the longest day ever. What, hadn't he ever heard of a nightlight? I don't know if you need a nightlight when you can harness the power of the sun. Well, Joanna, here is your third and final tale. You may know that Moses had two siblings, Aaron and Miriam. Both of them played important roles leading the Jewish people out of Egypt, and both are honored figures in the Torah and Jewish history. But did you know that they had a fourth sibling who was, hmm, a bit of a black sheep? Their youngest sister, Leora, 
got kind of jealous of her brothers and sister for getting so much attention. So she decided to get even and set fire to Moses' tent when all three were talking inside. Luckily, they escaped, albeit with some singed eyebrows and robes. They were so mad that at this point in the story, they sent Leora out to live on her own in the wilderness, and we never hear from her again. And you thought you had it bad with your siblings. Okay, Joanna, you've heard three totally wacky tales. Which one do you think is just too crazy to be true? The sword swallowing body, the son that stood still, or the worst little sister ever? Is the little sister the lie? Winner! Yes! Lucky for Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, they never had to deal with a pyromaniac sibling. I think I'm going to go hug my brother today and tell him he's not nearly as bad as I thought. Okay, Joanna, we have time for one more game, and we've saved the best for last. It's time for eavesdropping on history. Eavesdropping on history. Okay, here's the deal. Frank here does not have a driver's license because he's failed his driving test seven times. Sabrina, I told you that in confidence. Oh, I'm very confident. And don't worry, Joanna here understands. Right, Joanna? Right. I mean, Frank is like a terrible, terrible driver. Like his last driving instructor told him that she wouldn't get in the car with him again for a million bucks. Sabrina, just what does this even have to do with our next game? I'm getting there. Oh, and I should also tell you the music that he plays when he drives, it's so bad. Basically, if you ever see Frank on the road next to you, trust me, take the next turn and get as far away as possible. Can you please get to the point? Oh, right, right, the point. The point. Oh, well, the point is it doesn't matter that Frank drives worse than a sleepy panda wearing a blindfold because he has a time machine. Who needs a car and roads? Where he goes, he doesn't need roads. Yeah, so what Sabrina took a really long time to say is that I have a super awesome time machine that lets us travel back in time. Although I'm not sure I'm going to let Sabrina come with me anymore. Anyways, we recently took a trip and overheard an incredible conversation. But it was nighttime, and my recorder is solar-powered, and unlike Joshua, I can't make the sun stay frozen in the sky. We ran out of battery and lost out on some of the conversation we were recording. Do you think you can listen to what we have and help us figure out what famous moment in history we witnessed? Yes. (laughs) All right, Joanna. Wow, isn't it amazing to be here in our synagogue in this brand new country? I can't believe that it's been 14 years since we gained our independence. Time really does fly when you're no longer a British colony. I love freedom. Speaking of freedom, did you hear that the big guy who can't tell a lie is visiting our shul? What? No way! That's not all. He wrote this awesome letter where he promises us equality and peace in this country. Wow, I think our people are going to do very nicely here. not sure what was happening, but it sounds like good news. Joanna, do you have any guesses? Um, it had something to do with like an independence. Maybe like a Israel independence or something. So close, Joanna. It does have to do with independence, but American independence. What you heard were two people talking about George Washington's famous letter to the members of the Toro Synagogue, the first synagogue in the United States, which is in Newport, Rhode Island. 
On August 17, 1790, George Washington arrived in town, accompanied by Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson. They were greeted by Newport's leading citizens and representatives from the many religions present in the city, including the Jews. A few days later, President Washington wrote a letter to the Hebrew congregation of Newport, which promised that the, quote, government of the United States gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance. You can still visit the Toro Synagogue today and see the letter the first president of the United States sent to his Jewish citizens. Sabrina, have you started playing a new instrument? Wow, yes I have, thank you for asking. I'm actually learning to play the bagpipes. I think I'm getting pretty good, you wanna listen? No, I meant that ringing sound we just heard. Yeah, that's just the bell telling us that we have reached the end of Hebrew school, but that's irrelevant. One sec, I'm gonna play my bagpipes for you. Oh, you know what? I just realized I have somewhere to be. But a huge thank you to Joanna. And if you kids listening at home want to play too, and if you're between the ages of eight and 12, email us at hebrewschool at tabletmag.com. Until then, class dismissed! Hebrew School is a podcast from Tablet Studios. It's hosted by me, Sabrina Friedman. And me, Frank Spiro. Our producers are Josh Cross, Sara Fredman-Ader, and Robert Scaramuccia. Special thanks to Stephanie Butnick and Liel Leibovitz. Please go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review, too. For more about this show and all of the Tablet Studios podcasts, visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts. Shalom, Shalom kids! kids. That was Hebrew School, which airs every Sunday. You can listen to season two at tabletmag.com slash Hebrew School, or you guessed it by subscribing to Hebrew School on your favorite podcast app. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Unorthodox. Until then, shalom, friends.